Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. Our current series is Everyday Saints, a study of the book of Ephesians, looking into what we have and who we are in Jesus. God, as we talk about marriage, I pray that you'll strip us of defensiveness, of preconceived ideas, of reasons, why this can't be true, or we shouldn't uh, obey and in worship follow you in this, and strip us of ideas that you're not bigger than what we're going through right now. God, we admit to you that around marriage, we've got some baggage. God, we're saying to you that you're bigger than that. We're saying to you that you're Redeemer, that you're Helper, that you're powerful, that you're victorious, and that we want everything that you have for us. So God, would you today meet us exactly where we are, Meet us in our need, meet us in our strength, meet us in our brokenness, meet us in our successes, God, and help us to uh, see who you are, who you're making us, what you have for us. And I pray, God, that we would submit ourselves to you in worship and gratitude because you're glorious and because you love us so well. So we thank you for this day. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So I started last week and I... Uh, admitted to you some of my feelings about the church. And I told you that I grew up in church, told you that I've been around church for a long time, told you that I have some of the wounds and scars and hurts and, and hang-ups uh, that come from being in a church that long, but I also told you that I'm deeply, deeply, deeply in love with the church, optimistic about the church, care about the church, am excited about the church, and, uh, and, and that I'm hopeful for what God is doing and will do in the church. The reason that I bring that up again is because I think that the church is a lot like marriage in general, just the idea of marriage. I run into more people these days. I've been doing this about 15 years. And when I started, I, marriage was, was starting to be grappled with as an idea. But when I run into people generally under the age of 35, I run into a bunch of people who they are not interested in getting married. They are not interested in the idea of marriage, in the covenant of marriage, and there's just too much drama around it. There's too much hurt around it. And when you say, why don't you want to get married? It's not because they don't want to fall in love with somebody and because they don't want to give their life to somebody. It's because you, if you knew the home that I grew up in, you would know that there would be no reason that I would want to reproduce that. Or whenever I read the news, or whenever I read the statistics, and, 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 and marriage, much like the idea of church, is something that, because we have a lot of hurt around it, we've developed a narrative that's cynical and that's bitter and that's hopeless. And if we're honest and we look at uh, what the marriages around, what's happening in the marriages around us, uh, you can come to this idea and to this teaching and go, "Man, dude, what is the point? What is the point?" And so I wanna, I wanna pause at the gate, as it were. And I want to say to you that when you look at what God says His version of marriage is, I'm praying for you that you fall in love with the idea again. I'm praying with you that God restores hope. I'm praying with you that God gives you victory over hurts, over bitterness, over cynicism. And I'm praying that you can kind of see this for the first time with with the framing of the Gospel and with the framing of the Holy Spirit so that you can uh, think about it, live in it, experience it differently. Let me also say this. When you talk about marriage, especially in one talk, 
there's no way that you can touch on everything. There's no way that you can address everything. I know that there are folks in here who are single. I know that there are folks in here who are divorced. I know that there are folks in here who have had good marriages. I know that there are folks in here who have had terrible marriages or have terrible marriages. Uh, I'm going to do my best today to say what I think Scripture says in the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to do His work of getting that to your heart through miraculous means in a way that I just can't. Not in one talk, not in two talks, not in ten talks. And so I'm going to ask you to give me the grace to understand that I'm going to be talking for about 45 minutes. About 45 minutes. And that in that time, I'm, I, there's no way for me to humanly address every topic. But I am believing and trusting that God has something to say to you regardless of where you're coming from on this topic. Now, there's going to be a couple clarifiers that I'm going to put into this as we get talking through this, but uh, I'm going to do my best to not clarify away everything that I say. Is that good? And if I, if I start clarifying, uh, that's all I'm going to do. So I'm going to try, try to stay off of that hill, as it were. So I want to talk to you today about four things that are necessary elements for marriage. Four things that if you're married... If you're going to get married, if you're going to get remarried, you have to have biblically if you want to experience all that God has for you in marriage. I'm then going to talk to the ladies briefly. I'm going to talk to the men a little less briefly. And then I'm going to talk to both of you briefly. And then we're going to pray over everybody. That's what's going to happen at the end of this teaching time is we're going to come before God and we're going to throw ourselves fully on the promises of who Jesus is and ask Him to bless and heal and protect our marriages. So I'm excited about that. So, are we good? Ready to go? Alright. Four things that you must have if you are going to experience all that God has for you in marriage. And they are all F's. They all start with F. Alright? First is faith. Faith. Now, if you're a Christian in here, you say, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stop for a second. Paul has spent the majority of the book of Ephesians calling us into a belief of who God says that we are. Calling us to live it out, calling us to receive it, calling us to experience who God says that you are. And inherent in that command, and inherent in that call, is that you have to believe who God says that you are. You have to believe it in order to experience it. And here's what the Bible calls belief of something that God says. Faith. It calls belief of something that God says. Faith. And it calls belief in something that God says that maybe you're not experiencing or that you don't completely understand or that's not a reality in your life at this specific moment. That's even more fully faith. And God says that it is impossible to please Him without faith. It is the fundamental understanding of the Christian life that when God says something, I deem Him trustworthy and I believe Him because of who He is and because of what He has done and I place my faith in His statements and in His person and in His work and all of that is what the Bible calls faith. Now, when you think about marriage, you are going to be tempted, listen to me, in every conceivable way to lose faith in God's version of it. You're going to be tempted in every conceivable way to lose faith in the way that God says 
marriage ought to be. You're going to lose it in experience. There's going to be times where your interaction with your husband or with your wife are not working. Not working. And you're not going to have a framework for it not working. And you're going to begin to develop feelings and emotions and experiences and beliefs out of what's going on. And you're going to be tempted to think to yourself, the way that God says to do it is either not the best way or it's impossible. It can't be done. And you're going to go off and you're going to be tempted to not have faith in God saying this is what a healthy, biblical, gospel-centered marriage looks like. Equally, we're living in a day where there is a cultural narrative that looks nothing like what God says biblical marriage is. And I could talk for hours and hours and hours on that, but here's what you need to understand. God has a story that He tells us through the personal work of Jesus as it pertains to marriage. And God has an enemy. His name is Satan. And Satan has a story that he wants to tell you. And Satan has a narrative that he wants to give you. And Satan has a belief that he wants you to have around marriage. And in marriage, both in experience, in belief, in theology, in understanding, if you're going to experience all that God has for you, you're going to have to hold fast. And when I say hold fast, I mean white knuckle, sweat dripping out of your hands. I'm not letting go regardless of what goes on around me. Have faith in what God says marriage is for, how God says marriage should work and look, and what you'll experience around it. If you don't have that, please listen to me. You're dead before you get started. You really are. You really are. So the first thing is that you're going to need to have faith. And, and listen to me, guys. Marriage is going to be one of the most significant exercises of your faith in your Christian walk. It is. It's going to be one of the most, most vibrant, one of the most taxing exercises of your faith, but it's also going to be one of the greatest welcomes to worship God in your life. To come to God and say, God, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm understanding. But I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you when trusting seems foolish. I'm going to, I'm going to believe that you're good. I'm going to believe that you're trustworthy. I'm going to believe that you're here. I'm going to hold fast in faith to who you are, even when that's not making sense to me. The Bible says that that's, that's worship. It's worship. And you're going to need it, if not today, certainly tomorrow. Number two. The second element is you're going to need to focus on the reason that God gives you a spouse. You're going to need to focus on the reason that God gives you a spouse. Now, it's interesting to me because I've had the opportunity to do a lot of premarital counseling. And I enjoy doing premarital counseling uh, normally. Uh, not always, but normally I do. And one of the questions that I always ask couples is, why do you want to get married? Why do you want to get married? And without fail... Um, the guy starts with this. What do you mean? <laughs> Which, after 15 years, still makes me laugh. Right? Because I'm like, wait for it, wait for it. What do you mean? Well, <laughs> what I mean is, and I repeat the question. Um, and people say, because I want to spend my life with. People say, because they make me happy. Uh, I've had honest people say because we want to have sex. You know, uh, I, I've had all kinds of answers. Uh, all of which are good and all of which are true, but none of which are the reason that God says that He gives you a spouse. 
Do you know the reason that God says He gives you a spouse? He says He gives you a spouse for His glory. God gives you a spouse, gives you a marriage for His glory. The primary aim of a biblical marriage is the glory of God. It's to please God. It's to worship God. It's to make much of Jesus. It's to grow in the grace and knowledge of who God is. That is the reason, biblically, that you get married. And it's the reason, biblically, that you don't get married. And you're going to be tempted throughout your marriage to say this marriage is about me. Or this marriage is about you. Or this marriage is about our stuff. Or this marriage is about our happiness. Or this marriage is about sex. Or this marriage is about kids. And all of those are certainly implications of marriage. But they aren't the point of marriage. They aren't the point of marriage. And when we think about the glory of God, you need to understand that God, in seeking His own glory, is going to seek to transform you. And marriage is one of the most proficient ways that God seeks to change you. I want you to think about what marriage is, really. I want you to strip all the Hollywood out of it. I want, to, I want you to strip uh, you know, Disney movies out, and I want you to think for a second. You take two people coming from generally completely and often opposite backgrounds with two different perspectives, with two different personalities, with two different frameworks, with two different experiences, with two different expectations, with two different hopes, with two different ways of communicating, with two different ways of fighting, two different ways of doing finances, with two different types of houses that they want, with two different views of kids, with two different views of dogs, with two different views of work. You put them all in one house by themselves and say, good luck. <laughs> I mean, it is, it's the craziest idea of all time. I mean, marriage must be from God because I would have never come up with that idea. Never. And here's the thing. If you think that marriage is about your happiness, bless your heart. Bless your heart. If, and this is why people, honestly, you, you ask why do people get divorced and why do people tend to get divorced between six and seven years often? And what are the reasons that people get divorced? And it's because we don't understand why we got married. It's because we think that we got married so that I could be happy. So I could have sex. So I could have more stuff. So that someone would always be nice to me. So that someone would always agree with me. And then you get married and you look across at that person and you say, you lied to me when we were dating. They didn't lie to you. No more than you lied to them. Right? I always say to couples, the most professional version of lying that we have in our culture is dating. You smell better. You talk better. You dress better. You eat with better manners. You defer to one another, right? You watch movies that you never otherwise watch. You say, no, honey, I don't want to watch the Badgers and the Elite Eight. I want to spend time with you. You're a liar. You're a liar. And then what happens? You get married. You have hooked her. The Badgers come on. And what do you say? Seriously? What do you, what do you want to talk about? Can we make this quick? The badges are... What is it? it? It's that we've lost sight. We've lost focus. And here's the reality. God puts two opposite people in a house together and He 
watches them in His sovereignty. And I always say to couples, I'm glad you're fighting. I'm glad you're fighting. And they're always like, what? Why could that be good? Because you're exposing your values. You're exposing your idols. And whenever God exposes our values and our idols, we have the opportunity to repent and worship Him anew. And when we repent and worship Him anew, what happens to our heart? Changes. Softens. And so God puts us in a marriage for His glory and for our transformation. And then let me also say this, He does it for our health. In church, God says that diversity is a good thing. God says that you don't need a bunch of Tims running around. Don't say amen to that, alright? We need people with different backgrounds, with different perspectives, with different gifts. And what does God say? That when all of those members come together, you have a holy, healthy, functioning body. Did you know that marriage is a microcosm of that? My wife and I could not possibly be more different. And for the first part of our marriage, that was, that, that was a, a, a foundation for conflict. It really was. And I, and I run into couples a lot of times that it is. It, you're not who I thought you were. You're not like me. We don't agree. And so we bicker and we fight and we argue. But as God allows you to crack heads and as God allows your values to be exposed, what He wants to accomplish is a gratefulness for the diversity that's in your marriage, in the knowledge that God is going to use that for His glory and the blessings of others. Listen, when you come over to my house, you receive the blessing of the diversity of gifts between my wife and I. You receive that blessing. In the same way that if my wife, week after week, came up here and ran her mouth, that, that would not be a great fit for her. Now, she would be a blessing to you and God would use her and God would speak through her, but it, it wouldn't be a great fit for her in the same way that there are elements of mercy and hospitality and, and softness and sweetness and servitude that, that, that my, an administration that my wife is so gifted at and so beautiful in and so necessary. I need my wife. I need my wife because she's not me. And you need your wife because she's not you. You don't want her to be more like you. You want her to be more like Jesus. And when she's more like Jesus, and working in her gifts, and working in the abundance that God has given, you will be healthier, you will be blessed, you will bring more glory to God, God will be transforming your heart, and you will have a healthy and joyful marriage. If you insist on being right, if you insist on her agreeing or him agreeing, you're just going to fight, you're just going to have conflict, and you're going to be missing the point. You're going to be missing the point. And then lastly, why does God give us a spouse? He does it for His glory. He does it for our transformation. He does it for our health. And then He does it for our joy. And I don't want you to miss that. God gives us a wife and you a husband for your joy. For your joy. That's a God-given grace that I give my life to someone and that God gives me back joy out of it. But here's the thing, guys. When I focus on the point of marriage, God gives me joy. But when I insist on my way in marriage, I'll both miss the point and not get joy. Joy is a byproduct of us focusing on the reason that God gives us a spouse. 
And when we make it the reason that God gives us a spouse, we miss all of it. Now the mechanism that God gives us for focusing is in Ephesians this phrase, leaving and cleaving. Leaving and cleaving. Turn to your neighbor and say, leave and cleave. Leave and cleave. Leaving and cleaving is is a, a twofold idea. That word cleave is actually a military idea. So I want you to picture you're watching uh, the movie 300 uh, on TBS, so it's edited. Um, you're welcome, parents. Um, and uh, and the 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 Spartan is running toward the Persian, and he's ah, and it's this military assault and attack. That's what cleaving is. You put that in the context of marriage, and here's what it is. It's this idea that I'm, I am violently pursuing and grappling with intimacy in marriage. I'm going to have it. I'm going to prioritize it. I'm going to achieve it. I'm, I, I am, I'm, it is, it is my singular focus to cleave to my wife, to hang on to my wife, to embrace my wife, to do life with my wife, but here's the, the the other part of that. In order to cleave, you have to leave. You have to leave. There are things that you have to leave to prioritize pursuing intimacy in every way with your spouse. For some of you, that means stop calling your mom every time you guys get into a fight. Seriously. Stop. You're damaging your marriage. For some of you, it means stop working 85 hours a week. For some of you, it means turn off Sports Center. For some of you, it means the lawn looks fine. But in order to focus on what God says He gives us a spouse for, in order to achieve intimacy that God says He has for us, you've got to leave. You've got to prioritize. You've got to focus. That's why whenever you think about your priorities in life, here are my priorities. Number one, I'm a follower of Jesus. Number one, I view everything through the lens of my Savior, if I'm thinking biblically. Number two, I'm a husband. Number two, right under Jesus, is my wife. Number three, I'm a daddy. And notice I didn't say number two is husband and daddy. Number three, I'm a daddy. Number four, in my case, I'm a pastor. So think about what my life should look like and what I should be leaving and what I should be focusing on and think about all of the different things in that equation that are going to keep me from prioritizing, from cleaving to my wife, of that singular focus. Think of it like you're in the middle of a war and I've got to get from A to B as quickly as possible or damage is going to be done. That's what cleaving is. Listen, outside of your walk with God, your focus, your cleaving to your wife is the number one thing if you are married. Number one. When you stand before God, God is not going to care if you knew the score to the game last night. God is not going to care if your landscaping looked great. God is not going to care how much money you made. God is not going to care how many employees you had. God is not going to care if mom is happy. God is not going to care if the house is tidy. God is not going to care if your career went great. He's going to say, what did you do with this relationship that I gave you by my grace? For my glory, for your transformation, for, for your sanctification, 
for your joy, for your health. What did you do with that? Well, I was busy. Leave that. Leave that. And focus on the reason that God gave you a spouse. Number one, faith. Number two, focus. Number three, is filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. And these are not, you know, one, two, three in order of importance. These are simultaneous. Uh, Paul is writing to us in the context of walking out our faith. Walking out who God says that we are. And he ends that walking with be filled with the Holy Spirit. I've run into lots of people and they say this submitting to one another means that the submission of a wife isn't, isn't what God's trying to say. But they kind of miss the point because God says that a Spirit-filled church submits to one another. So the point isn't the submitting, the point is the Spirit-filling. And so whenever, whenever we're thinking about being filled with the Spirit, uh, you know, I'm all for reading, reading books on marriage. I really am. I'm all for going to conferences. I'm, I'm all for working on your marriage. I'm all for developing skills in marriage. And marriage takes skill, doesn't it? Amen. Thank you. One person thinks marriage takes skill. Dear God, we are in big trouble. Yeah, marriage takes skill, and you should be growing in that skill, but please listen to me. Have all the skill you want. If you don't have the empowering of the Holy Spirit, you're dead in the water. Absolutely dead in the water. Listen, I, I am... 100% doesn't even begin to say how necessary the Holy Spirit is if my marriage is going to be healthy. I mean, you think about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness. You think about those things and you think about their impact on a marriage and you think about what happens in a marriage when they're absent. Take long-suffering out of your marriage. How's that going to go? Take patience out of your marriage. Take goodness out of your marriage. Take kindness out of your marriage. Take peace out of your marriage. You say, I don't have a hard time imagining that. Who makes those things possible for a Christian? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And I've noticed, and I'm going to be honest with you, this is a, this is, last week was such a good word for me. Because I knew marriage was coming, and because, because I have, to be completely honest with you, I haven't put a lot of thought into the filling of the Spirit in the context of marriage. And last week, it was like God went, well, duh. Seriously? This idea that when I wake up in the morning, I say, God, if you do not fill me with your spirit and empower me by your grace, I'm going to make a mess of my home today. I'm going to make a mess of my home. God, I can't conjure up joy. I can't conjure up love. I can't conjure up peace. I can't conjure up patience and long suffering. And, and if I can, it's going to be short lived, right? And it's going to be inconsistent. And so, in order for that, that present filling of the Holy Spirit to be a part of my home, it has to be front and center to my understanding, to my dependence, to my need, to my, I'm desperate for the Holy Spirit to sustain and to empower me so that I can love my wife well. And let me be straight with you, not even so I can love my wife well. So I can love my wife. 
I'm, I'm a broken dude. I'm prideful. I'm impatient. I can be gruff. I can be, I'm not long suffering. I'm a very pragmatic guy. I need the Holy Spirit to soften me so I can love my wife well. And I'm, I'm desperate for Him to do that. I'm desperate for Him to do that. And listen, I can, I can read all kinds of books on be long suffering. Count to ten. Alliterate it. Have ways to memorize. Ways to not be so angry, right? Have, have, uh, habits. Wake up in the morning and make her, I can do all those things, but, but I don't want to deal at the surface pragmatic level in my marriage. I want to feel and receive and live in and inhabit the Holy Spirit empowering me and filling my home with His presence and goodness and grace and mercy. Because not only in my life, but in watching people's lives in church, I know what happens if that doesn't occur. And I don't want that. So it's been a great, great grace of God teaching for me to, to understand the context in which Paul is saying this. Let's talk about marriage, but let's not talk about marriage before we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's not, let's not do that. God, sustain me. God, grow me. God, guide me. God, lead me. God, enable and empower me to love my wife and love my kids well. Because I know what's going to happen if I try to do it without you. Number four. Faith, focus, filled. Number four is family. Number four is family. And I don't mean biological family. I mean spiritual family. I mean church. I'm, a, I'm stunned. And when I say stunned, I mean stunned with the amount of people who think that they can do marriage without help. Like I, they, they come to the church, they meet in the church, they get counseling in the church, they get married in the church, and then they get busy. If anything, switch that around. Right? Meet someplace else, get married someplace else, get counseled someplace else, but once a ring's on it, get your butt to church. I need you to love my wife well. I need you. And I need you if you're older than me. I need you if you're the same age and the same place with me. And let me be straight with you. I need you if you aren't married. I need you to speak truth into my life. I need you to help me to see where I really am and who I really am in a way that I can't do alone. And so the church is the community to encourage us in marriage to pray for us in marriage, to hold us accountable in marriage, right? And equally, the church is here to comfort us when we struggle or fail and counsel us when we struggle and fail. Listen, if, if you're in here today and you're, you are entertaining ideas of ending your marriage, allow the church to be the church around you. Don't isolate. Don't go off by yourself. Don't try to figure it out on your own. If you're in here today and you're in an abusive situation, don't keep that a secret. Don't, don't allow the enemy to tell you that the, the church doesn't want to help or that you'll be judged or that there's shame in that. That's what the church is. The church exists for us to care for one another 
because of the grace of God on our lives. And when you're reading through Scripture, listen, the church provides a foundation for biblical marriage. What does it say? A spirit-filled church sings together, says thanks, and submits. Is mutual submission an important thing in marriage? Please, God, don't have one person say amen. amen. Yes! And where do we learn that? I read a book. No. You learn it in church. That's what the church is. And so I want you to listen to me. <clears throat> because you're sitting in here today and you're like, I ain't married, what's this got to do with me? Everything. It's got everything to do with you. If you are a part of Damascus Road, listen to me, you're responsible for the marriages in Damascus Road. You say, how is that? Because whenever married folks see you working in your gifts, working in submission, working in deferment, working in honor, working in communication in this body, it is a discipleship that's occurring for my marriage. In the same way, when a church is toxic, gossiping, slandering, rebellious, you're, you're discipling marriages. The way that we interact with one another is God's grace in providing married folk with a way to be discipled. With a way to see the grace of God in our lives and in our midst so that we can live in the fullness of that in our homes. Listen to me, please. If, you've been, if you are newly married, there is no place that's more important for you to be than here. And I don't mean brick and mortar, I mean relationship. You need to be in a community group. Need. Need. Did I say need? I meant need to be in a community group. Do not try to do marriage on your own. Do not try to figure it out on your own. Do not try to struggle on your own. Do not try to fail on your own. The church is a body that's here by the grace of God with Jesus as our head to serve one another. And there are folks in here who have been where you've been. You don't know what I've done. I don't need to. By God's grace, we're a church that's big enough that whatever you're going through, I can point you to somebody. And by God's grace, they can love on you and pray for you and encourage you and speak truth to you. Don't tell me you've got to get home to watch the game. Don't tell me that. Record the game or miss the game. Focus on your marriage. Focus on your marriage. Now, don't send me an email and say, you're making the Sunday gathering. That's not what I'm saying. Don't do that. But we need to be sober enough to understand our priorities. We do. And we need to stop kind of just going with the flow on this and, and kind of put our heel in the ground and say, we're going we're gonna to focus on the relationships that God has given us. All right, so box done. Here we go. Talking to the wives, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 22. Ladies, are you ready? <laughs> All right. <clears throat> We're going to make this quick. Truly. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. A couple things that I want you to note about this. There is one directive in this narrative, isn't there? What is it? Submit to your husbands. Now listen to me, please. When we're talking about submitting, the enemy is going to give you 
hundreds of reasons to stop listening right now. Okay? Please, in faith, don't do that. Please, in faith, don't do that. Don't allow the enemy to put a wedge in here. God created men and women in His image. And because we're created in His image, we are, listen, equal in value. We're equal in value. Bearers of the image of God, created in the image of God for the purposes of God by the grace of God. Any, listen, narrative that tells you different is not the Bible. Please hear me. It's not the Bible. At the same time, God created both men and women in a certain order. And that order is that He created men first. He created men first. But I want you to listen to me. The responsibility of men being the head of a home or leading their wives and their wives following well is not privilege. It's accountability. Let me tell you why I say that. In the garden, Adam and Eve fall. Who is the one that fell for it first? Eve. Eve is tempted first. Eve falls first. Eve gives to Adam with a dumb look on his face. And he follows in sin. When God comes to Adam and Eve and confronts them in their sin, who does he talk to first? Adam. What did you do? And what does Adam do? He abdicates his responsibility by blaming his wife. Does God let him get away with it? Oh, I must have missed that part of the story. He doesn't. Please listen to me. There is a narrative that says that, that male leadership is privilege. And when I say privilege, I mean like God wants men to be like CEOs who make $250 million a day embezzle a bunch of money and then get away scot-free. And that's how we think about power and authority and privilege. Like it's used to oppress. In the Bible, power is used as stewardship and you're accountable for it. You're accountable for it. And so whenever God is talking to a married couple, He says, ladies, be accountable to your husband in the knowledge that he's accountable to me. That's what submission is. When you stand before God, God is going to say, were you accountable to your husband? Now here's the other thing that you need to understand about this. He says, submit to your husband as to Christ. If you were to think about being led by Jesus, if you were to think about His character, His tone, His temperament, His vision, His care for you, would you submit yourself to that? Would you give yourself to that? Would you trust Him in that based on who He is and what He's done for you? Would you do that, ladies? Yeah, you would. Here's what God's saying. As you are accountable to your husband, you are submitting to Jesus. And what we, what we tend to do is we get hung up at the husband part and we say, you don't understand who this joker is. And you don't understand what he's going to do with the power that you're giving him. What I'm saying is that submission and accountability is ultimately faith in God as being greater than your husband. God is greater than your husband. God is, God is more significant, 
more trustworthy, more good. Now listen to me, please. Any narrative that says, I'm powerful and it makes me right, I'm powerful and I can do what I want, I'm powerful and I can abuse, I can use, I can cast aside. Listen, it's from the pit of hell. That's not what God's saying here, ladies. And men, that's not what He's saying to you. He's saying, women, submit to your husbands. And and look at what He also says. He says, to your own husbands. He's not talking about women submit to men. He's not saying that. Submit to your husband. Submit to the one that you entered into covenant with. Submit to the one that you chose. Submit to the one that you wanted. Submit to the one that you, you said yes to when He put that tiny little rock on your finger. And trust God. Trust that God is bigger than your husband's best. And trust that God is bigger than your husband's worst. And be accountable to your husband in submitting to God who is good and trustworthy and wonderful and will not lead you to a place that will damage you. Okay? That's it. We're done. You can hop off of the table and talk to the lady on the way out the door. $30 copay. Alright? Alright. Guys, if you could hop up on the table for a second. <laughs> Three things that I want you to know. Three things that I want you to know. And, and, and let me let me just pause for a second. Uh, and we want to be the kind of church that speaks to one another in love and in truth. And, and if I just asked you for a cursory reading of Ephesians chapter 5, 23 through 24, is that the message that you would have got, ladies? Was I, was I, was I honest with the text? Yeah. Now, that's why I started with faith. That's why I started with community. That's why I started with focus and people around you. That's why I started with being filled with the Spirit. So we can see this with spiritual eyes. Guys, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it that she might sanctify, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her with the washing of the water of the Word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, that they might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Three things that I want you to know. One is a do not do, and two are a as. The do not do is actually in the book of Colossians chapter 3. And here's what... God says to men, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. God puts in opposition love and harshness, men. Some of the versions say, and do not be bitter with them. And I was meditating on that. I... I have to be honest, a lot of times I notice more that women tend to be bitter with men. I don't think as in terms of men being bitter with women, but I do think in terms of men having low-level, constant anger with their wives. Here's what God says. Men, be gentle with your wives. Be gentle with them. Talk to them kindly. Communicate well with them. Put your arm around them. Create a safe place for them. Don't be harsh with them. Don't be sarcastic with them. Don't be cutting with them. Don't be critical of them. Don't dishonor them. Love them. Love them. Number two, 
love them as Christ loved the church. Two ways that I want you to think about that. He gave himself for it. I love my wife sacrificially. Why? Because Jesus sacrificed himself for me. I don't do it in a vacuum. I do it in response. I understand what the gospel is and I give myself to my wife sacrificially. Equally, I love my wife to make her more beautiful. Please listen. Loving is not a benign term. It is a, an action that has a result. Guys, if you love your wife well, she will blossom right in front of you. If you put her in the dark, if you withhold from, she will wilt. God says, don't be harsh with your wives. Don't put her in the dark. Don't, don't put her in the corner. Don't be rough with her. She's a, she's a flower that can blossom under the love of Jesus and the love of her husband who understands the gospel. And as she does, she will become more and more beautiful. And we got some questions. You've been married five, six, seven, ten, twenty, thirty, forty years. Is your wife more beautiful now than the day that you married her? Or have you been harsh with her? Have you been cold to her? Have you been vindictive? Have you been critical? Have you withdrawn? Have you been rude and callous? Have you watched her will? Lastly, love as you love your own body. And here's what, here's what the Bible says, that we, <laughs> we cherish our body. Which is kind of a funny thing to me. I'm just saying some of us don't necessarily look like we cherish our body. But... Did I say that out loud? Yeah. Here's the way that I want you to think about this. Here's the way that I want you to think about this. When you get hungry, guys, what do you do? You eat. Yeah. When you got to use the restroom, what do you do? You find a you find a toilet. Yeah. When you're thirsty, what do you do? You get something to drink. When when your body tells you it it needs something, what do you do? You provide it. And so this love that God calls us to, men are in response to the Gospel, filled with the Spirit. It is not harsh. It is sacrificial. It is provisional. And it will cause your wife to blossom. This is the grace of God because, because I already think my wife is beautiful. And the more my wife blossoms, the more beautiful I will think she is. And that's good for both of us. Right? The grace of God that in obedience we receive blessing. God could just say, hey, just do it. Why? I don't know. Because I said. But God says, listen, when you obey me, when you manifest the gospel, when you aren't harsh, when you are sacrificial, when you are provisional, your wife is going to blossom in front of you and you are going to grow in your love for her. And as you grow in your love for her, you're going to lead her better. You're going to love her better. She's going to trust you more, which is going to enable you and her to do what I called you to do. Listen, ladies, if your husband did what God calls him to do, would you have any issue with wives submit to your husband? No. This is the grace of God. This is the story of God. You show me a better story than this for marriage. There ain't one. There isn't one. 
And that's why I say to you at the beginning, have faith. Have faith that God knows. Have faith that God's way is best. Don't be cynical about it because of who you know or what's happened. Trust God. I want this marriage. This is what I want. And I don't mean want because it's right. I mean want because it's awesome. Because it's beautiful. Because it's miraculous. And so God says, I empower you to do it. I give you what you need to have what you want for my glory and your joy. Listen, don't believe the lie of the enemy that he wants to deprive you or he wants to cast you out or he wants to oppress you. That's not what biblical marriage is. Biblical marriage is this blossoming, this trust, this provision, this sacrifice, this actional love that, listen, we're all desperate for. Lastly, and then we'll be done. I'm going to give you one practical At the very end, God says in verse 33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. Talking to men again. And let the wife see that she... Why doesn't he say love? Notice that? In fact, God doesn't ever tell ladies to love their husbands. He tells men to love their wives. He tells ladies to respect. So let me, let me tell you, ladies, what guys really, really honestly want. Okay? Lots of movies, well, no movies about this because no one other than God knows what men want, right? When God says, respect your husband, here's, here's what a guy needs to know. Am I strong enough and am I capable? And here's what, here's what the world has done. It's taken the strength of a guy and made him look like a moron. Like strength means stupid. And ladies, you could buy into the lie that if a guy can work with his hands and build and create and it seems menial and manual, then he, that he, that's all he can do. A guy needs to hear from you. You are strong and you are capable. That's what a guy needs. And the way that you follow Him and respect Him will answer or reject that question. You hear what I'm saying, ladies? You, you, you nag, you criticize, you be rude, you be disrespectful to a guy, and you're saying to him, you're weak and incapable. And what a guy will do at that point is he'll either withdraw or he'll lash out. And so God says, ladies, don't, don't buy your husband flowers and I love you so much and you should watch romantic movies. Don't do that. Say to a guy, you're strong and you're capable. Respect him. And here's what you need to know about that. Number one, you're going to need to be Holy Spirit empowered to do it. And number two, it doesn't say be respectful to a dude who deserves it. doesn't say once he's earned it. That's not the Gospel. The Gospel is grace. The Gospel is sacrifice and provision. And listen to me, ladies. Your man needs that from you. Needs it from you more than he needs it from anyone else on the planet Earth. I need to know you think I'm strong. I need, you to, I need to know that you think I'm capable. And I need to not only hear that verbally, I need to see that. You're willing to trust me. You're willing to forgive me, certainly. They are willing to trust me.
Men, here's the question for the ladies. Am I beautiful and am I desired? You know how many times that I've had people come in and the lady has said, I just don't feel like he needs me. Am I beautiful and am I desired? And there's a narrative that has made beauty external and desire lust. Perversion. Guys, do you think that your wife is beautiful? Internally, externally? Her, her, her quirks? Her habits? Are you endeared to her beauty? Do you look at her and, and just find yourself kind of staring? Do you want her? I'm not talking sexually. Do you want her? Do you need her? Are, are you, are you, do you see her as, as the grace of God in your life? And do you communicate that to her? Not only verbally, yes, verbally. Not I told you I loved you once and you should remember. Do you communicate love in how you talk? Do you talk harshly? Or are you loving? Do you communicate that in your provision for her? Get a job. Work. Pay the bills. That's what she needs. It's what you need. Are you sacrificial? Do you communicate to her you're beautiful? Not you used to be beautiful. You're beautiful. Today, as you are. And I not only want you, but I need you. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Respect your husbands. This is the marriage that we want. This is the marriage that God gives us by His grace and through Jesus. That He calls us to walk in. That He calls us to believe Him in. That He calls us to focus on. That He calls, that He empowers us to do. And then He gives us a community around us that helps us to see it come to pass by the grace of God for His glory and for our celebration and joy. I'm going to have you stand with me. I'm going to have the band come up. And, um, normally we do benediction at the end, because that's where it's supposed to go. But we've been doing Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 as our benediction. And as, we, I'm going to switch it up a little bit, as we enter into, um, this time of worship and response, I'm going to, I want to pray this prayer over, over our church. I want to do kind of our benediction now. So the way this is going to change is that y'all are going to stay and we're going to sing together. We're going to take communion together, but we're, we're going to, we're, we're not going to have benediction as we normally do. But here's the reason that I want to, I want, and I know it's late. Uh, this is an important, an important thing for us to understand. Um, some of you, you hear that version of marriage and you think to yourself, that would be great if. And I don't, I don't know what your if is. Uh, so that's why I want to pray this prayer. So I'm going to read it. And then I want to just end the teaching time by praying for our marriages, by praying for our church, by praying for the discipleship of spirit-filled submission in it. And just that, uh, that God would do miraculous things. Uh, so I'm going to read this text so you know what we're praying. Now to Him, and put in the context of marriage, now to Him, that being God, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, 
according to the power at work within within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Yeah, so I want to pray that truth over our marriages and over our belief toward them. Okay? So raise your hand as I pray. And then we're going to go into our time of worship. We're going to sing together. If you came prepared to give, there's boxes in the back. Come up and take communion with your bride. And if you want to come up for more prayer, man, I'd love to meet you up front and pray with you. The elders will be up here as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this story that You're telling us about marriage is one that, man, I want. I look at this marriage and I, and I, I think about the the experience of that marriage, the reality of that marriage, the truth of that marriage, and, and my soul resonates with it. God, I want it in my home, and I want it in the homes of the people who called Damascus Road home. God, a lot of us are coming from a lot of different places. We're hurt, we're banged up, we're doubting, we're hopeless. We've got questions, we've got big ifs. The only prayer that I want to pray is that you meet us in those ifs with who you are. Not with strategies, not with pragmatics, not with skills, with you. We need you and the power that is you, the reality that is you, the truth that is you. I want your presence to be known and felt in this time and in this place over our marriages, over the emotions that we have toward them, over the energy that we have toward them. Just pray, God, that you'll lead us. Trust you. Lead us to know why you gave us a spouse. Lead us to be filled and empowered by your Holy Spirit. Lead us to be a family. Grow our family, God, in your grace. Grow our family in faith. Grow our family being filled with your Spirit. Bless our marriages, God. Protect our marriages grow, empower our marriages, God, for your great name, for your, for your glorious name, for the story that you're telling, and for our abundant joy. God, heal our marriages. Restore the joy that's been lost to them. Give us victory over sin and struggle. Help us to forgive, to be kind, to receive all that you have for us. Through Jesus. God, we're entirely dependent on you. So we come to you where your people, our hands are open. Would you fill them? Would you change us? We thank you for it. In the wonderful name of Jesus.